Hey, good morning, church family. I trust you're having a great Memorial Day weekend. It is good to be with you as uh, we look into the 11th chapter of Daniel. 11 weeks we've been in this, and it's just kind of interesting to note how perfectly the Daniel series has lined up with uh, what we've been going through. And we've targeted the Daniel series to end uh, next Sunday. It's kind of interesting that um, the stay-at-home order in Bucks County specifically uh, seems to end in the beginning of June. And although we know we're a long way back from seeing a new normal and uh, there will be a gradual and progressive um, move we make to follow guidelines as a church, and we're going to unveil those with you as, as they get finalized, we also have some hope. And it's great to have some hope that we're at least moving in the right direction. Let's continue to pray for the safety of our congregation. At this point, we are just praising God that no one in our congregation has reported that they have battled the virus themselves. What, what an awesome thing to say. And even if that is the case, we know God will get us through this as a church. It's so good to be with you this morning, and each week in our Lions series, we're just talking about, hey, are we going to be listening to the roar of fear during this time? Are we going to be listening to the roar of faith, our Heavenly Father? Ah, the devil, he rolls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but our Heavenly Father, the Lion of Judah, he is there for us, just infusing us with faith in times like we're in now. So, so what's the word of the week this week? Okay, um, We're going to go turmoil, all right? Now, the word turmoil means a state of great disturbance, confusion, or uncertainty. You're hearing so many different opinions, okay, of what we should be doing, how we should be doing it, and, and a lot of turmoil out there, confusion. Um, there's just been a, a constant disturbance in the air. Have you not felt that? And there are many people saying, yeah, and it's probably not going to end until after November, and they have some strategic reasons why they say that. But uh, health and well-being is, is under turmoil. Um, there's losses of jobs. I, I was talking to a business leader um, just recently, and he was sharing how he had to lay people off just to keep his company alive. And he, and he said, do you understand what it's like calling somebody and sharing with them during this time, I don't have a job for you, and hearing them cry, or, or hearing what that will mean for their family, and your heart's just broken, and you got to make the call. It's just a time, let, let's be honest, it's a time of turmoil. And in times of turmoil, we, we say to ourselves, who can I trust? What can I trust? What do I read that I can actually go, yeah, that, that might be true. I mean, I need something I can trust. And so, so here's our question this week. What can you trust during times of turmoil? What can you trust? Some of you might say, maybe it's who can you trust? I mean, doesn't it feel like uh, uh, you can't trust anything you read right now? I mean, every article seems to like just be clickbait. You see these articles, they say like one thing and they, they present this conflict. You click on the article and there's really nothing to do with what the post was. It was just get you to read the article and it stressed you out. I mean, we maybe should do that with our Sunday's coming email. Pastor Chris makes a decision and Doug has some major concerns along with John. It's like, and you open it up and then it says, Chris decided to eat a late night meal at 11 o'clock and Pastor Doug's concerned it could impact his health and he's praying for him. I mean, it's like nothing to do with the title. It was just an alertest thing to get you to click and, and we have posts, we have conspiracy theories, we have articles everywhere and we say, who can I trust? What can I trust? I mean, hasn't the term fake news just been 
introduced into our society within the past couple years? I've heard people say, I feel like I can't trust anyone. Can you trust God? Well, yeah, of course I can trust God. Are you trusting God? I mean, I mean, let's shoot straight here. Have you read more articles about how to handle this than you have read what the Bible would say how to handle this? H- have you depended on more people's opinions than sought the scriptures? Have you been leaning on promises of God or promises of legislators? Who can you trust in times of turmoil? You know, I think of people I trust and and people that have been there for me. I think of one specific circumstance, and I've shared this with our church before, and they always love laughing at me, so if you're not familiar with our church, this story will be new to you, but um, uh, yeah, I'm the the center of the joke here. I pulled up to a bank with my father. Um, For the first time, I was gonna deposit a check. You see, when you're young and you get a paycheck for the first time, you realize you gotta sign it and and all these stuff. And and so my dad said, oh, you can take that to the bank and deposit it. Remember, we got a checking account for you. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll deposit it. What do I do? And I signed the back, my dad said, I'll go with you. And so we went to the bank and I pulled into the drive-thru and I went into the open lane, and at that time, a lot of banks still had a big drawer. Do you remember this? They had the big window and a drawer, and they hit the, and the drawer would come out and kind of unfold on you. Well, I pulled up to the bank with my dad, and um, he said, now, when you deposit, make sure you tell them your name. I'm like, okay, I don't remember my parents ever doing that growing up, but maybe I wasn't paying attention. Um, I'll tell them my name. So I put the check in. I hit the call button. And I said, Chris Heller. And I saw the teller kind of turn with a a confused look. And my dad said, no, say it louder. Say your full name. What? All right, you trust your dad, right? Christopher Robin Heller. My dad's name's Robin. I'm Christopher Robin. I yell it into the bank. Customers are starting to laugh. The teller's kind of giggling. And I'm looking in there and I'm going, I just got bamboozled. My dad just mocked me, and I hear him now giggling as I'm yelling into the bank. I wanted to present myself as a little bit of a tough guy, a guy who's got it all together, and I'm sitting here yelling my name into the bank at the enjoyment of everyone there. My dad got a good laugh that day, and you would say, wow, I thought your dad was a trustworthy source in your life, and I did too, and you know what? He still is and has been a trustworthy source in my life. But he took advantage of me that day, and we had a good laugh, but it reminds me of what we're going through right now. None of us wanna get bamboozled. None of us wanna get lied to. None of us want to make decisions based on fake news. None of us want to fall into the trap of some theory. We don't want to be lied to. We want trustworthy sources. Because we're afraid we're going to look stupid, or we're afraid we're going to be tricked, or we're afraid we're not going to be ready when the moment comes. Who can we trust during times of turmoil? What in my life can I take to the bank? I believe that's the heartbeat behind Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11, really at its soul, is about the trustworthy God. 
and it shows us truth that we can depend on, you could argue, almost like none other chapter in regards to prophecy. Now, Daniel 11 is actually known as one of the most specifically fulfilled prophecies in all of Scripture. I mean, to this point. There is prophecy for the future yet, but we can see the prophecy of Daniel 11 has already specifically been fulfilled, at least most of it. There's one more week in the 70 weeks that we're waiting on. But through these 69 weeks, we can see how much this prophecy has been specifically fulfilled if we just look through the halls of history, not less than alone the Bible. It's interesting. Daniel chapter 11 would almost be like finding a book that was written in the 1800s. Let's say you just found this book. That, let's say um, we, we heard on the news there was a book found. Uh, it was written in the 1800s, and we opened it up, and it read... In, in older English, you know, like this. Um, there shall be one who will arise among states that are 50. He shall boast that he will make it great again. And in the fourth year of his reign, there will be a pandemic arising from the east. And it will come upon his land. And people will be in great turmoil. Now, if you found out somebody had a book in the 1800s and it said that, you'd be like, that's talking about today. Oh, my word, this is a trustworthy source. You know what Daniel chapter 11 is? A prophecy written over a three to 400 year period of Jewish history that has come to pass. And we can look at history and compare it with Daniel chapter 11 and say, Oh my word, that prophecy is to a T. God knows the future. God knows what will happen, and it happens. That means he is a trustworthy God in times of turmoil, and I should turn to him. Folks, would you join me today? As we open what is often referred to, and this is pretty cool, okay, as the book of truth, all right? It's the history of the Gentile nation, and we're going to get a glimpse of how it has come to pass. It's going to be exciting. If you love history today, if you love thinking, if you love processing, if you love diving into the text, this is your Sunday. Pray with me, and let's dig in. Heavenly Father, use this text today. Fill me with uh, enthusiasm for what you have shown us, Lord. May we gather around, stay focused through it, Lord, as there's so many distractions, often in the house as well. And may we hear you today just pump truth into us through this incredible prophecy that we see has come to pass. And may it fill us with trust. God, use this time. Grow us through this time. Let us see this prophecy as something we can take to the bank and not be bamboozled or fooled. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the book of truth in chapter 10, last week, 
Daniel was told by this great angel, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth, okay? Now, now obviously, this is inspired scripture, so Daniel's writing what God is gonna share with him through this angel about the Jewish history that is coming, or, or the Jews' future, and Daniel's good to get to see it. But, but what I typically do when I preach is I read the Bible, and then I kind of back it up with history, okay? So we, we call that historical interpretation, taking scripture and interpreting it through history. You know what I wanna do today? I wanna flip it. I wanna open the history book, read the history, and then go and compare it to the Bible, which was written two, 300 years before the history book, and see if it's accurate or see if we can see this prophecy being fulfilled, okay? So, so here's history. Um, King Cyrus, all right, 538 BC. Now, whenever you see BC, what does it mean? Before Christ, okay? And BCs, they count down 500 BC, 400 BC, 300 BC to zero, right? What's zero? Jesus Christ. What's AD? Counting up, okay? And so AD begins at Jesus and goes up. So all those people who don't believe in Jesus Christ and that he was true and all this stuff, every time they write their check and go May 2020, they're acknowledging Jesus because we get that 2020 based off of those calendars, okay? And, and so he's the zero, if you will, and, and the restart. But in the BCs, 500 BC, keep in mind this book written in 600 BC, in 500 BC, King Cabasius comes, or Cabasius, excuse me, comes, Cyrus's son follows him. Then another king, King Pseudo Smyrtus, is where we get this idea. You ever hear the phrase pseudo? That means fake. He was an imposter to the throne, and so they called him King Pseudo Smyrtus. Then came King Darius. Okay, we know about King Darius. And then King Xerxes. You know King Xerxes. You say, hey, I'm not so sure. You remember King Xerxes? He's, he was stupid rich. I mean, crazy rich. And King Xerxes was also known by the title Ahasuerus. And if you ever study the book of Esther, that was him, okay? So that is Persian history you can read in your history books. I know all of you have been studying up on Persian history. So King Cyrus is gonna be followed by four kings and the, and the fourth king in history we see was Xerxes. Yeah, well, what does the Bible say? What does the prophecy in the book of truth say? Watch this. And now I will show you the truth. This hasn't happened yet. It will be happening over the next 300 years, Daniel. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise from Greece, who shall rule with a great dominion and do as he wills. Written, written, 100 years or so, before these things started to take place, where you get all the way to this king, this mighty king who will rise. Well, who's that? Well, what happened in the 300 BC, some 300 years after Daniel wrote this prophecy? What happened? Well, we know. We can open the books of history and see Alexander the Great. He was this great king of Greece. He was dominant. By the age of 33, he dominated India, stopped at the shorelines and said, there's no one left for me to conquer, and wept. He was out of control, though. And throughout his life, he didn't live long, and dying in Babylon, he left zero posterity. What's posterity, young people? That's like children that will follow you and continue your kingdom. 
He had an illegitimate son with another woman, and he had an illegitimate child. He had a legitimate child, excuse me. They were both killed. Why? People wanted Alexander's great kingdom. Who? Four generals. They inherited his kingdom from him. We read this in our history books, not necessarily the Bible. He divided the, they divided the kingdom into four parts. That's why we, today we have Macedonia, Asia Minor, Egypt, and Syria because of these four. It was Alexander the Great, 356 B.C. to around 323 B.C. Now Daniel, writing in 600 B.C., says there will be a mighty king that arises. You be the judge if he calls this accurately. Here's a scripture. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven. That's showing you four directions. But not to his posterity. Oh my word. Look at the detail. Nor according to the authority with which he ruled. Other generals. For his kingdom shall be plucked and it will go to others besides these. This prophecy is like down to the T of what happens in history. Well, I got a question, Pastor Chris. If Alexander the Great came hundreds of years after Daniel, and Daniel wrote about him, how come somebody didn't bring that to him while he was alive? Well, while Alexander was alive, Daniel was around. It was not in this form. This is what's called a canon, where they put it together. It was in scroll form, put on papyrus. It would have been a rolled up document something like this. It's called the Daniel Scroll. Now there is a historian that I think it's finds it very, you'll find very interesting if you ask that question. His name was Josephus, okay? Now Josephus was a contemporary of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you wanna study whether Jesus Christ was a historical figure, not, not from scripture, you would read Josephus who was a contemporary around 30 AD to 100 AD. And he wrote about this Jesus of Nazareth. But he also wrote about another account. King Alexander rode into Jerusalem one day. And Josephus records this. And when the book of Daniel was showed him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians, Alexander supposed it was himself. And as he was then glad, he dismissed the multitude for the present. It's fascinating. It seems there was a high priest who brought the scroll of Daniel to Alexander and said, hey, Alexander, you're in the Bible. You're gonna defeat the Persian Empire. And he supposed it was himself. He liked that, of course. And he left the Jews alone. And it's why so many people believe he's not only mentioned a couple verses in scripture, because he didn't pour out wrath on the Jews as much as the kings that would follow him. Too specifically. Now if you're following along in the history books, Alexander's kingdom is divided. Watch this. And there, there arises two specific kings of the four that are very powerful. Kings in the north and kings in the south. And his divided kingdom is spoken of now into chapter 11. So, so as we stay in the history books for a minute, you'll see there was one king, okay? And, and, and specifically the king of the south. His name was Ptolemy I, 
okay? Ptolemy I in the 300 to 285, he was a general of the great Alexander. He was one of the four. He self-proclaimed him the king of Egypt. And over the next hundreds of BCs, you see the Ptolemy dynasty grow through the south. But there was also a king of the north, okay? And that, if you study your history books, you'll see is Seleucids, okay? The kings of the north. Seleucid I, a general of Alexander the Great, rose up from Ptolemy. He actually rose up out of Ptolemy's leadership. That's why they often refer to him as his prince. And he grew up the Seleucid dynasty. And if you study history, you'll find the Antiochuses, that whole dynasty, first and two, come out of him. You say, you remember Paul in Antioch? That's where we get that, from Antiochuses, okay? And so you have these two kings, the king of the north and the king of the south, and they go at war with each other, and there's tremendous turmoil for the next 15 or so verses of chapter 11. And Daniel describes specifically what will happen. Now, now we don't have the time to actually walk through every single part of it. So what I wanna do is just highlight kind of three individuals that come up just for your curiosity's sake, and just for to give you a little taste of how specific this prophecy is. You say, okay, so does Daniel predict these two kings that go at it that we know of in history? Here's what Daniel says. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes, Seleucid, shall be stronger than he, and he shall rule, the king of the north, and his authority shall be great authority. And so we see this king of the south becoming the king of the north and then battling, okay? Now, why is that so interesting? Look at the map. Why does Daniel carry that? Why does he care? Why is Daniel like, let's talk about the Ptolemy dynasty and the Seleucid dynasty. Some of you, especially young people, you're like, oh my word, this sounds like history class. I wanna quit. Stay with me a minute because God wanted you to hear this. God wants you to hear this prophecy. These two kings battle. But I want you to note, if you can just look real close on your couches, what's right in the middle? The holy land, the beautiful land, God's people. And there's turmoil for hundreds of years between the king of the south and the king of the north, the Ptolemy dynasty and how it grows, the Seleucid dynasty and how it carries on. And over the next hundred years period, there's just this turmoil affecting the Jews. And within that, some individuals arise. One is Berenice, okay? If you open your history books, you'll find, you'll find Queen of the North, Berenice, okay? She comes from Egyptian history. We know her around the 200 BCs. Here's why she's interesting. Those two kings that were battling, they made an alliance with one another. Ptolemy II, okay, as they carried down, of Egypt, and Antiochus II of Syria. They, they were the king of the north and king of the south at the time. They were contemporaries. They're battling, and they came with an alliance, and they sealed it, they sealed with Ptolemy II's daughter, which was Berenice, okay? And, and, and so she becomes the queen of the north, okay, Berenice, but Antiochus, in order to take Berenice, he's gotta divorce his wife, Laodice. Ever hear of the city Laodicea? That's from Laodice, okay? Now, Laodice gets divorced for this alliance with Antiochus and Berenice, okay? And Laodice gets ticked off and comes back for revenge. She burns Berenice to death along with her son, which at that time period, they referred to it as your arm, like the legacy you're gonna continue is your arm. She burned her arm, Antiochus. That's what she named her son, 
and Laodice then took authority. You're telling me Daniel goes into that kind of detail? The prophecy hundreds of years before talks about this? Listen to what scripture says. After some years, they shall make an alliance. Oh my word. Hundreds of years before. And the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm. Oh my word. And he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up and her attendants, he who fathered her and he who supported her in those times. Wow. So what happens after Berenice? Well, if you open your history books, you'll find this guy named Antiochus the Great, okay? Antiochus the Great, he became the king of the north. Now, now, we're, now if Daniel's 600 BC, we're all the way down to 223 BC to 187 BC. You see us counting down towards zero, towards Christ? He followed Seleucid III and became king of the north after Seleucid's death, his brother, okay? He besieged, he's famous for his military might, and you earn the title the great when you beat certain cities. He conquered the fortified city of Sidon, and what's interesting is, you study history, he built these sage works that helped him get up, them, up the walls and into the city. Antioch is an incredible, incredible military general, and one of the things he did is that holy land that was right in between the north and the south, he acquired it and gained control of the glorious land of Israel from the Ptolemy dynasty. You stay with me? I mean, my word, okay? This is what we know about history. Does Daniel talk about this guy? Watch chapter 11. Some 400 years earlier, the king of the north shall come and shall, no way, throw up sage works and take a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. He continues, but... He who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom. Wait, 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 wait. He shall set his face? Yeah. He is so determined to gain more authority that this Antiochus III comes up with an alliance plot. And in the plot, he concludes, if I give my daughter over into Egypt... She'll stick with me, and as she grows in that, I'll dominate them from within. So I'm going to give them my daughter. Do you know who Antiochus III's daughter was? It was Cleopatra, the first Cleopatra. Cleopatra, known as kind of the daughter of women, she was part of the power plot that Antiochus sent her into Egypt. So under the threat of Rome, Antiochus offers his daughter to Ptolemy V to use the power of Egypt against themselves and to infiltrate them. But she, Ptolemy V is only a little boy when he sent Cleopatra, okay? He was a little boy king. She ends up siding with Ptolemy V and the whole plot goes to ruin and Antiochus does not get what he designed and he's ruined. You're telling me Daniel talks about this Cleopatra hundreds of years before. Give me a break. Open your Bibles. Look at these verses. Daniel eleven seventeen. And he shall bring to terms an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. He continues. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. 
200 years of prophetic detail. Look at this map. 200 years of this Ptolemy dynasty fighting the Seleucid dynasty with the Holy Land in between. 200 years of turmoil prophesied. 100 years, even more, you could say two to 300 years, prophesied with incredible specifics. Why, God? Why? Here it is. God wanted his people, the Jews, this is their Jewish history, God wanted his people to know that he knows what will happen before it happens. Child of God, do you believe God still knows what will happen before it happens? He wants us to know that. Why? Because he wants us to know that he's in control even amidst turmoil. Well, you say, why is there so much turmoil? Why, why would it, if God's in control, why does he allow turmoil? Folks, you gotta zoom all the way back to the Garden of Eden. There was a snake that confused Eden and that snake's goal was to get Eve to believe that God is not good, God cannot be trusted, and he's been doing that for years and years and years. God is not good, God cannot be trusted. Look at your circumstances. Look, he's holding you back from everything you could have. God is not good, he cannot be trusted, and that roaring lion seeking someone to devour is still trying to do that today. God is not good, and he cannot be trusted. Just look at the circumstances. God's saying, Despite the circumstances, I can be trusted. Eve bought into that lie. She ate of that fruit. And sin entered the world. And because of sin, we have turmoil. God's not the author of sin. It's part of God's plan. But sin came in because of a decision. And sin now is the reason we have plagues. We have difficulty. We lose loved ones to disease because sin is in this world. We live in a sin-cursed earth and the devil wants you to believe that that's God's fault. No, it's mankind's fault. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve separation from God. Scripture refers to that as hell. That's what we deserve. But God in his great love He's reminding his children, even his Jewish children, that I will be with you despite what you're gonna have to deal with because of sin now. You're gonna have to deal with turmoil. In fact, Jesus came to his disciples and said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I know what happens. I know how this ends. There's one more figure in Daniel chapter 11 that God knows will come into Jewish history. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes. Around 168 BC, Daniel written around 600 BC, so we're 500 years out from the prophecy. He gained a contemptible contemptible throne because he stole it unrightfully from Seleucus IV. He named himself Epiphanes, which means illustrious one, and he magnified himself and spoke very highly of himself. This guy was out of control. He was a deceiver. You know how he got his way? He lied to people. He gave them fake news, if you will. And they followed him and they believed him. And then he would trick them and he'd turn it on them. And that's how he gained his power. What does Daniel 11 say? 
In his place shall arise a contemptible person. In whose place? Antiochus III. You're going to get Antiochus IV, whom royal majesty has not been given. He didn't earn that throne. He got a contemptible throne. Daniel predicted this hundreds of years before. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by what? Flatteries. Just like history shows us. But history talks more of this, of this Antiochus IV. He was a horrible man to the Jews. He was defeated in Alexandria as the Romans were growing. Ships out of Alexandria came and turned him back outside of Greece in the Shittam area. Then, in his anger at being turned back from the Romans, he went back and he still owned that holy land. And you know what he did? He walked into Jerusalem and in anger returned there and killed 80,000 Jews and imprisoned and sold 40,000. They raped women, even children were killed. And on the Sabbath, he stopped their sacrifices in the temple, didn't allow them to sacrifice. He erected a god of Zeus in God's holy temple and then he burned a pagan swine on the holy altar. What was that altar there for? To offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. What was it a picture of? What Jesus Christ would come and do in just a couple hundred and sixty-eight some years. It was blasphemy. That altar is a picture of the atonement for sin that Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb. Folks, you ever ask, why do I need to come to Christ as my personal savior? Because written in the law of scripture, it says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. The Jews understood that on their altar. We as New Testament believers understand who shed his blood for us to give us forgiveness. Jesus Christ. You know who made a mockery of that sacrifice? This guy. And it was called the abomination of desolation. Is this recorded in the book of truth? 600 BC, this was written. At that time, appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Katam, oh my goodness, to a T, shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and he shall turn back. Well, we know what's gonna happen in history. He's gonna turn back and go to the Jews. Let's see if Daniel gets it right. And be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He continues. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. Just as Daniel, this actually happened in history. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. We read about that in history. Daniel, that happens. This is so true. But I want you to see this next verse because it stands out like a beacon. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people, but the people who know their God shall stand firm. They shall be strong and take action. They'll carry out great exploits. The people of God. But there's also a prediction of persecution. Daniel continues, and the wise among them shall make many understand There'll be those who see this. They'll have read Daniel, and while it's happening, they'll know what to do. Though for some days thou shalt stumble by the sword and flame, there'll still be persecution on the Jewish people, but captivity and plunder. And then he continues, Daniel says, when they stumble, they shall receive a little help, 
and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise will actually stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end for it waits still an appointed time. And you go, what's that mean? What's that mean? And we don't have time this week. But there seems to be another time that's coming in Daniel. It seems, we, as we look through the, the Hebrew literature, that the 69 weeks here are coming to a close, and there's one more week out there in the future. Why did God give us such accurate prophecy of Jewish history? I believe God wanted his people to have divine perspective amid turmoil. I'm going to work for your good. I'm never going to leave you. Turmoil is in this earth and you will experience trouble because sin is here. But I've overcome that. In the end, I will be victorious and you can take that to the bank. You say, that's not the end of chapter 11, Chris. I'm looking at my Bible here. That's not the end. And next week, we will continue the 11th chapter. But I want you to see this before we apply this today. In the book of truth, it begins into the next verse and says, the king shall do as he wills. You're gonna see that the book of truth begins to speak about an antichrist. And it talks about this 70th week and possibly what that will be like. Throw up my slide that shows the future world leader and some of his characteristics. He's gonna come and, and be referred to as the little horn in Daniel. He'll be a great government leader. The king of intrigue, he'll be insolent and skilled. The prince to come, a global dictator. The man of lawlessness, a liar and a cheat. The foolish shepherd, he'll lead people into folly. The son of destruction, he'll be a destroyer of the nations. The beast of the sea, he is a monster from hell. You know what Antiochus IV is? He is a type. He is a future type. We can see what this guy will be like and how horrifying he will be for the Jewish history. This Antichrist that's to come. Why does God give such detailed prophecy? Why does he do that? Why does God go into all this detail? We're gonna talk about some of the detail of that Antichrist in our series conclusion next week. But the heart of the application today in our final few minutes is this. I believe God gives us such detailed prophecy for us to look at because he knows the lion that seeks to devour strategy. He wants to fool his kids. The devil wants to fool God's kids into thinking God's not in control. He cannot be trusted and he is not good. You will find when you deal with people as a pastor, that the number one struggle they'll have often is they don't know the God of the Bible. Psychologists would tell you that most people gain their concept of God and what they know about God from their father. And so if dad was a performing dad, like you gotta perform to get love, then they look at God as a performing God. And if I don't perform for God, if I don't do good for God, he's not gonna love me. If dad was permissive, yeah, do whatever you want. They often have a permissive God. If dad was angry and out of control, then they have a God who will get back at them and, and hurt them. And they've made this concept, but it's false, and the devil kind of uses that sometimes. It's a challenge for us dads, right, to be great dads, but, but the, the devil kind of tries to use that to say, see, God can't be trusted. I, I think he tries to derail our faith in times of turmoil and lean into things that we can't trust. 
Here's four things that I, I see all the time that, that the devil tries to do to derail our faith in a good father. Lack of faith in God's goodness. Look at your life, God's not good. Lack of patience in God's timing. He, he, you've been praying about this, but it hasn't been coming. God can't be trusted. Lack of submission to God's plan. I don't want it to be this way. So, so God, you're not good because I don't want it to be this way. And a lack of confidence in God's word. Is there any one of these four that is tripping you up right now in times of turmoil? Watch out, child of God. That's the devil's strategy to derail your faith. God has given us in his word prophecy that has already come true and some that will come true in the future as we'll see in our final week so that we can trust him during times of turmoil and say, I got the whole world in my hands. I still got the whole world in my hands. So here's our question. What can you trust during times of turmoil? What do you go to? So here's what I go to. I just wanna give you five things as we close. I go to the promises of God. That, those are things I lean into. I, I, I believe there are things that you can take to the bank. And so I wanna give you my five favorite promises that I hold on to during times of turmoil. They're mine, they're mine, you can't have them. Well, you can have them. But um, I hope you lean into promises um, during times of turmoil. Do you know there's over 5,000 promises in scripture? Some argue there's 7,246, I think is the number, right? Do you have any memorized? Do you think it might be a good idea to look at some of the promises of God to stand on during these times more than the articles you're reading? Here's five that I use, okay? And, and I can take them to the bank, all right? That, that God will deliver. Here's the first one. God promises me, I will always be there for you, Chris. I'll always be there for you. As a father who wants to be a great dad, I wanna live out God's promises to me for my children the best I can, I'll fail but I feel like I can put my kids on a good standing if I can give them a father that's gonna be there for them always. It's not gonna turn on them. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, everyone. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will always be there for you. The devil wants to lie and say you're all alone. You're not all alone. God's with you. No Christian can ever say I'm alone if you know Christ is your savior. Second one. I will be working for your good. And we know that God, for those who love God, all things will work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. I know whatever I'm going through, sometimes even when it's really difficult and I'm really stressed out, I'm really feeling a lot of pressure, kind of like the last couple months, I know it's gonna work out for the good and I can trust that. This doesn't feel very good, it doesn't look good, it's gonna be different. I know it will work out for good though. God promises me that. I lean into that. God has my best in mind, whatever's going on. And here's my third one. I will supply all your needs. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours. Need, it doesn't say want, according to his riches and glory of Christ Jesus. You know what's sad? So many people apply that passage only monetarily. You know we have needs that go beyond just money, right? We have a, a need to be belonged. We have a need to have significance with life. God says, I'm gonna supply all those things, not according to your riches. Chris, you don't got that much money. According to my riches, I'm gonna supply them. I have great confidence that God is gonna supply for me my whole life. Here's my fourth out of five. I will never leave you. Oh, I love this. 
Romans 8, 38, 39. If you don't got this in your promise book, you need to add it. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, not any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, no government leaders, nothing, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I will never leave you, Chris. I'm the God who stays. People will betray you. People will leave you. People will let you down. People will lie to you and bamboozle you. I will always be with you. And that leaves me my fifth. I will always be victorious. I'm giving you prophecy to let you know in the end, I win. I always win. God is the God who says, all I do is win. And despite what I have allowed during this season of Gentile history, where it's going to appear that they might be winning, that the governments might be winning, that church, you're in trouble. The gates of hell cannot stand against the church. And all I do is win, even in times of turmoil. I have told you these things so that in you, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I will, I am walking you through victory. These are my five favorite promises of God. I wanna encourage you this week, get out your promise book and start looking through this scripture. What promises do you bank on? What God do you have? Can you trust him? I believe you can. I believe he's shown it in history that his word is trustworthy. And what he says will happen, will happen. And he wants to tell you this morning, if you do not know, if you do not know me as your personal savior, here's what will happen. You will be separated from me for all eternity if you die. If this disease happens to come to your home and you don't make it through, you will be separated from me unless you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. How do I do that? You call in the name of the Lord. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And you can have the confidence that the same God who can predict every event of future has predicted this will happen for you if you know Christ. Even if you pass, you'll live forever in heaven. Folks, I pray this week encourages you that God can be trusted, that God will deliver. And despite what currently looks like is going on, that the darkness of evil is using a lot of things against the children of God, you can have faith that we'll be the last one standing. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the confidence of your truth. I pray the church was able to stay with that. That was a lot of history and information. But I pray it gives them confidence that, oh my word, the Bible predicts history that I can look into history books and see it came to pass. I can trust this book. And I believe this has built a trust in your people and you. And that that's the inspiration of today. Lord, may they look to your promises and stand on them. May they stand on the promises of God in these times of turmoil. Because they can trust you. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Hopefully some of you barbecue outside. Enjoy the nice breath of fresh air. And uh, be praying for your church as we walk and continue to walk in these times of uncertainty. God bless.